This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, Episode 1. Four days ago, aliens landed on a distant planet, and we are them. Now we struggle across an unknown planet, an uncharted world, looking all the while for that moment when we must fulfill our promise and wondering what will stand in our way. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that thinks every planet should get a sequel. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I've decided that from now on, I'm going to do the podcast via my dreams because I communicate uh, more clearly that way. Yeah, I would. I'd love to go into your dreams, Jordan. I I worry about what's in there, but uh, it'd be interesting. I once had a dream that I only had one arm that was muscular, and then everyone wanted to take my picture, so I had to keep turning to the side so they could only get my one muscular arm. <laughs> this is my good side. Yeah, that's my good side. Yeah, don't don't look at the other little scrawny arm that only uh, types all day. That'd be uh, an amazing like action movie actor. You always have to shoot him from one side to hide the like regular arm. <laughs> I'm sure there's like uh there's equivalent of like bald spots and stuff. Absolutely. Well, Jordan, this week we are getting into a new series, Earth 2. Now, this is from the mid-90s, like I think it ran November 6th, 94 to June 4th, 95. So you might have some recollections of this show. I have no recollections of this show. And I should because this was like prime television watching uh, for me at this age. Wow, I definitely remember elements of this show. I, I mostly remember the ad campaign was coming out because I believe Amblin Entertainment was one of the producers. Mm-hmm. So I just have a strong memory of this being advertised as like from Steven Spielberg. Right, right. Which he, he has no involvement in this. No, no credit. Uh, just his company was involved. So uh, very, very light on the Spielberg. He even had uh, um, some sort of uh, creative input in Tiny Toons, at least. That was a passion project. Oh, and uh, let, let me mention one thing. This is the second thing we've seen that has the number two in the title, but is not a sequel. First, we watched Genesis 2. Now we're watching Earth 2. It's true. I actually have been thinking about that uh, Genesis 2 trilogy of things on a new Earth, although it's actually regular Earth just in the future. And I was like, yeah, this would fall in that world somewhere. <laughs> actually, I think this feels more like River World to me. Oh, yeah. There's elements of River World there, too, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely one of the few shows we've watched where we're going to another planet and like mm-hmm. hanging out there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a quick note before we uh, go into a little more about this show. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I did as I was uh, prepping prepping our kind of next next little while with this. But there is some confusion around the episode orders of the show. Oh, is that right? I was looking at IMDb and it was ordered differently than it is on the DVD. And that was ordered differently than what I discovered is the production or storyline order. Apparently, when it was released, like it happens in the 90s, like this, the network just ended up airing a couple out of order. They just like tossed a couple at the end of the season just because they hadn't aired them when they were supposed to air. I don't know if they were preempted or what, but they just kind of dropped them whenever. 
And I guess the fans at some point figured this out because I guess because it's a little bit serialized, it didn't quite line up. And there became a fan order. But the fan order also isn't quite what the intended order was. So just a note to anyone who cares. We're going to watch it in the intended order, Jordan. So I have arranged things that way. So you will watch the intended order and I will let you know when we're watching things out of order. So the fans have decided that the show would, would air in a way that they think is better by consensus as opposed to what the creators had intended. I mean, they may think it's better. I believe maybe that is possible. I think what it was is the fans post the you know screening on television probably didn't know like there wasn't an internet really to go to to be like this is the order we meant i think they knew there was out of order episodes and they took it upon themselves to try to figure out where they fell and um they i I believe what it is is they've made a loose trilogy around one of the characters hmm well be interesting to see as we go what those serialized elements are and does it really affect the uh, not only the the actual storyline to the show, but our enjoyment uh, as viewers. And one other note for the listener on uh, on Earth Two, and this is for us uh, the both the podcast. So this is the first sort of long series we've tried to take on since uh, Space Above Beyond. Mm-hmm. So what we've decided to do is basically break it up into two seasons, or to break this season one into two parts for ourselves so like a mid-season break we're gonna get to probably episode 11 like halfway through the series we're gonna step away we're gonna watch some other series and then we're gonna pick back up and watch the remainder of earth 2 you know assuming it survives the escape pod and the warp drive uh all the other traps we've set for it Mm -hmm. yeah a nice little relationship break that we we might be taking from it just so uh it doesn't wear us down exactly yeah but that's all the housekeeping as far as episode order and episode breakup that we're talking about. Let's talk a little bit about what was going on in the world when Earth 2 was coming, was on the television screens, Jordan. In 94, right? Yes. As I said, November 6, 94 to June 4, 95. Here were the highlights I, I, I came up with from Wikipedia. Mm-hmm, okay. Does anyone like this? I don't know. <laughs> It doesn't matter. It sets the stage. We, we feel like we're there. We're, we've got our uh, ripped jeans on, and uh, you've got your cool band t-shirt with your sweater over top. you got your long hair, your undercut hair parted in the middle. How's Kurt Cobain doing right now in 94? In 94, he was dead. Well, not quite then. All right. November 5th, George Foreman becomes the oldest heavyweight champion in history at 45 years old. I remember that, yeah. That's a very impressive. I don't remember that at all. November 7th, Jordan, first internet radio broadcast. Oh, did you know which one it is? It was from a university. The uh, little university radio station started putting their radio show out over the internet. A a precursor to podcasts. We owe them everything. (laughs) It's interesting. I wonder who was actually listening. I guess it was just mostly on campus because no one would have known about it. Yeah, I would assume. December 3rd, the PlayStation is released in Japan. Oh, they got it first, huh? Of course, man. They get everything first. Hmm. March 22nd, a cosmonaut sets the world record for most days in space, 438. That's consecutive days in space. Yes, correct. Uh, Yeah, that's a long time in space. It's a long time in space. It's more than a year. You must get tired of that filtered air and the tang. I mean, I imagine your muscles must wither to nothing. (laughs) Isn't it true that um, most astronauts end up with uh, back problems because of the, uh, the compression on their back once you come back to Earth? 
I think that is true. I think it's a it's a big transition to come back to gravity, and it really does mess you up. But luckily for our people in uh, in Earth too, the planet we're going to end up on is is pretty much the same as Earth. Plus, they have artificial gravity on those ships, so they got it all. Baby. That's true. That's true. Here's a dark one for you. April nineteenth, Oklahoma City bombing. <laughs> I don't. I didn't mean to laugh at that. It was just the way you set the stage. I thought it was for me personally, and I'm like, oh well, I have nothing invested in the Oklahoma City bombing. That's what made me laugh. I do remember that happening, and it was very dark for a young child like myself. Mm, I also remember that. And this one's just for me and a few other listeners who like video games. But May 11th to May 13th, the first E3 convention happened. That's one of these ones where people like show their wares sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's where you go to see all the hot new video games. You're like, hey, check out this ergonomic controller. And someone's like, ah, it's going to change my life. That sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Not that I want to make this go longer, but I'm going to make it go a little longer. You want to hear four deaths from that period of time? Four famous deaths? Yeah, of course. November 28th, Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm. March 26th, Eze. Mm-hmm. Followed shortly after, March 31st, by Selena. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. And here's one, Jordan, that I think is going to hit very close to home for you. So hold on to yourself. April 14th. Burl Ives of Earthbound. Oh, Burl Ives. He died in 94. Huh? Yeah, just after we watched Earthbound, we're watching now a show that premiere or was on the air when he passed away. Very sad. Mm, it is sad. Maybe I need to stop doing these ones about people dying. I don't I, Maybe those are too much. Maybe we need to just, it's just people who are uh, born. Or we just need to add that commemorative music that people have when, you know, at like the Oscars and stuff. And... Jordan, I still have one more thing because I just can't keep, I can't stop dragging this out. Thank God. And this one is just a question for you because I know this is one of your favorite things. What won the Oscar for Best Picture in 1995? Oh, now I'm going to get one year off. I know that Braveheart won 95, but that might have been the 96 one. So it's it's either um, Braveheart or English Patient, depending on what, I can't remember what year they do the Oscars. It was Forrest Gump. Oh, Forrest Gump. Oh, that was the year. See, I'm, I'm always one year off. Okay, bonus round. Who was the host in 95? Oh, was it Letterman in 95? It was. Oh, there you go. Nice. I brought it back. <laughs> brought back the win streak. All right, enough of this futzing around, Jordan. Here is the IMDb summary for episode one, First Contact. And let me just cut you off. You know who never said, let's stop this futzing around? The people who wrote this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Devin Adair and her crew are searching a are searching a new home for the human race. The colonization of Earth Two is difficult, and that was courtesy of Peter W. Simeon. I mean, it's generalized, but I mean that's that's basically what you need to know. I cut a little bit out of it, but that was the that's the broad strokes. All right, so we start off with a little bit of narration and some uh, nice miniature space shots of satellites, space stations orbiting Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're space stations. Yeah, I believe they're referred to as the stations. Mm. Uh, no one has lived on Earth in three or maybe more generations. I couldn't quite tell. And everyone lives on these space stations that orbit the Earth. A little bit of that 2001 design to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually thought all the ships, the exterior looks pretty good. And the interior, at least we see in this ship. I don't know if we ever get a name on it. You probably got it, but I didn't catch the name. It looks something akin to a mix between a, like, plain cockpit and like a submarine yeah yeah definitely the interior art 
tightly packed have a little more of that like alien feel to them the mm-hmm. interiors and the exteriors yeah i thought it was a little 2001 um what we come to learn about earth this time is there is something called a the syndrome that uh, kids have developed who have been grown up on these stations it's so bad they use the definite article it's not a syndrome it's the syndrome well it is weird they might call it a syndrome as well they never really give it a name but i guess that's kind of because it's a little bit of a is it a dirty secret like people don't want to accept that kids are suffering from this syndrome basically they play it as if there's so i don't know if it's supposed to be the government or who's in charge or just society as a whole on these respective space stations but like you're saying everyone seems very wary to talk about it or how this disease came about i'm sure they're going to go into that more as the series goes but it's i think you're right like some sort of weird dirty secret yeah it seems to be from what they say because they live in such a sterile environment on these space stations this is just i guess a result of them not having a natural immune system i guess their immune system is not challenged by anything Hmm. and uh kids typically die before they reach the age of 10 so this is kind of the world we're coming into and it's very, we do meet one of these syndrome kids right off the top, and uh, how did you like the gear he gets to wear? I thought it looked a little bit like, do you remember Mantis? He looked like he was wearing the suit from Mantis. Yeah, it's very much like an exosuit he's wearing, but then with like uh, an oxygen tube in his nose. Yeah, it's it, he, he doesn't look well. Yeah, they seem to have no muscle strength and like have trouble breathing. Like It seems to be pretty unpleasant. Well, I mean, it would be, Luke. You're dying before the age of 10. It's, it's not, it's not a, a roller coaster ride of a... Of fun times, you know? Well, uh, the kid who has the syndrome, his name is, that we get to know anyway, his name is Ulysses or Yuli. Yeah. And his mother, Devin Adair, is uh, our sort of lead character. She's been planning the Eden Project, which is basically an excursion to a exoplanet, planet uh, G889. It's um, a privately funded excursion where she's planning to take uh, a bunch of syndrome families i believe 250 is what she says to establish a new colony on this earth-like planet and hopefully provide um these kids with like i don't know the things they need to get better like they're hoping if they go to a planet and live on a on the ground their immune systems will improve i guess and i have a couple notes about devon adair one her name sounds like a shampoo <laughs> i hadn't thought about it but sure um and secondly I think I could be wrong, but I believe we see her in the course of this episode in two outfits and both outfits. She's wearing a corset. Really? Yeah. Like the second one is actually like half corset, half vest, but it was an odd character thing, which I think we've seen before. What was the show? Oh, you know, it was Space Rangers that uh, the female character had to wear a corset too. It's some weird uh, early 90s uh, feminine wear. (laughs) In the future, you have to wear corsets again. What a nightmare. for For some reason. Things have really gone back for people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but did you catch the name of what they're going to call this new colony they're setting up? Oh, um, hold on. I wrote it down. It is... Uh, did I bold it? I can't find the note, Luke. What do they call it? Some real insight into how you do your notes with bolding. It was called New Pacifica. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But what was... No- it's in the... Um, but this is called the Eden Project, and did they, the planet's in the G8 sector? Is that what they said? Yeah, I believe the planet is uh, known as G889, I believe. Right. And this is just me. I don't know geography very well. Where's old Pacifica? <laughs> I think maybe it's like uh, uh, like New Zealand or something. 
Anyway, this is sort of her plan. She's doing this big thing to take her son to a new planet and bring other kids there. So to hopefully treat this syndrome that no one wants to deal with. And they'll be joined by uh, Yuli's private teacher, who seems to be a bit of uh, a bit of a part of the family. His name is Yale. And Yale seems to be some sort of cyborg from a failed program that turned ex-cons into like half robot men. Is, is that what he is? He's half robot? I couldn't tell if he had been genetically modified or he was part robot because what, what we do learn really quick is he's got what seems like a robotic hand that like mostly seems to be used for like projecting images. Yeah, he can do like holograms on his hand, which is cool. <laughs> but weird question for you, Luke. Later on, we're going to get introduced to the doctor. She also was had a robotic hand or was she wearing like a medical glove? Oh, we'll see that a bunch in this episode. Not a bunch, but a few times. They've got a tricorder, a medical tricorder in this show, but it is basically the Nintendo Power Glove. But it looked the same as his hand. No, his hand is all metal, though. She, you can see, you can still see her fingers popping out of the, uh, uh, the medical okay. glove. I did like that medical glove, though, because I'm just like, it's the 90s if you've got a cool glove on that you're using to scan things. That's true. Yeah. So you think he's part robot? Well, they do mention him as a cyborg. They say that this pro- the Yale program was shut down because I guess the, some ex-cons started having the memories of their crimes come back to them, which made them unstable. So there's a lot going on here, like some sort of mind-wiped ex-convict forced into servitude as a tutor, though he seems to be okay with it. But here's the thing. He's on board as the tutor, but there's only two kids on board. I, and I think he's, but I think he's Yuli's private tutor because there mm. is that second kid and we can get into her shortly. I think she's an employee. Right, right. Uh, well, I th- I think you're, I get what you're saying. I think it's, it's not really that she's an employee. It's that she's there with an employee. Anyway, well, Devin is putting Yuli to bed one, uh, one day, just the one night, right? Th- the next morning, they're going to take off the Eden Project. So it's not just one night. It's the night before the Eden Project leaves. She mm-hmm. gets a quick call from the commander up in the, up in the, I guess, the bridge of the ship, which her little eye, did you like her like Google glasses? Yeah, yeah. So she looks like she's wearing like something like a telemarketer would wear, like a headset. But then the specific sci-fi part of the headset is that if someone calls you or I communicates to you via whatever system they use we don't know yet um she has like a little uh one eyepiece that she flips over in front of her eye and it's red and that apparently it seems like it also it does the audio as well as visual yeah she can they can see her and she can see them through this monocle this electronic monocle (laughs) electronic monocle that's good yeah at any rate the commander of the eden project is calling her because they picked up an encrypted news report uh did you like the complete with the futuristic fbi warning in front of it Oh, yeah. The the, it's, the te- technology all here is all very um, knob and tube. And like you, even the video feed they get is all like scrambly and sort of stuff. It doesn't look like like digital happen in this universe. Yeah, no, it definitely feels all analog all the time, which is cool. I actually yeah. like that aesthetic. So No, I, th- I, th- I actually think it looks really good. And I, overall, I think the special effects are pretty good across the board in this show. But this uh, encrypted news report he's picked up is uh, a news anchor reporting the news of the next day explaining that everyone aboard the Eden Project was killed at 9 a.m. And of course, that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So something's afoot. This is a real rookie mistake, and I feel like we've seen it before, or maybe just in other movies, but the idea that you pre-record a newscast for a, like, tragedy you're about to cause. <laughs> well, I think really what it comes down to is efficiency. Whoever's job it was 
to make the videotape just did their job so well that it was all ready to go. And you know what I mean? Like they should just, if they had someone who was more of a slacker, this wouldn't have been a problem. Right, right. This is just a problem with bureaucracy. Like if, if this had been like one guy's job, he would have gotten to it later. But because someone needed to prove he was worth his paycheck, he's like, well, I'll get the news quest recorded before it. Exactly. Um, at any rate, this pretty much immediately gets the show into moving because they're like, all right, well, um, I guess we're not leaving in 12 hours. Let's just leave right now. What we get is that they have to kind of sort of secretly leave right away. But it's one like shot is like a very exciting thing, but it's also a very slow sequence of docking or de-docking out of the uh, out of the uh, the space station they're in. Yeah, like their very large ship is kind of in some sort of docking mechanism, which is completely contained within a space station. So they have to kind of get out of the docking mechanism and pass the closing like door, which is kind of a cool like flower design. So it like mm-hmm. closes into a into a dome over top. Um, I I like this because I was just like, oh, so a we're not waiting. Like in the first five minutes, they're going to be exploded and they have to leave in advance. And like nobody sits around like wondering what they should do. As soon as they like watch this newscast, it says, we're going to murder you. They're like, all right, let's just leave now. I think part of it also is to give you a sense of the character of, uh, what shampoo lady? Uh, Devin Adair, um, that she's sort of like a uh, no-nonsense captain. I actually think her character is not very well defined throughout this episode. She really just is mostly used as like a, a worried mother. But I did think in this one specific scene, you got a good sense of who she hopefully is going to become in the show. Right, right. Um, but let's talk really quickly because the person who has to pilot them out of this dock is their uh, hired hand and pilot, Alonzo Solis. And uh, he is played by Antonio Sabato Jr. <laughs> I know. That's, there, there's a couple people that are cast in this that just scream the time period, and he's one of them. I know. Former 90s heartthrob, current celebrity Trump supporter. It's a real get. Oh, is he, is he a big Trump supporter? Is that right? I think he's he's like in that uh, James Wood camp. Ah, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> That's not. Is that a big camp? It's not a big one, but they have nice dinner parties, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. You you want to attend one, right? No, no, I don't. You know what I know about Antonio Sabato Jr. is, I know he campaigned really hard to be Batman um, when uh, Christopher Nolan was going to be uh, doing his Batman trilogy. And the word started going around. He was very adamant that he wanted to be Batman. Um, it, he just forgot that he's not a very good actor. Man, that's, yeah, that's, that's a tough campaign to win that late in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we do know about Alonso Salas is, A, obviously he's an ace pilot. Why would you have him on the show if he wasn't? His jawbone, that's why. <laughs> B... They do space flight in this show via cryosleep, so you will leave for very long periods of time and come back and not have aged. So there's some implication that he has done a lot of these jumps as a pilot, and he might be very, very old. And I think he even says at one point, like, he doesn't have any family or anyone left because he's possibly hundreds of years old. And we know he's a real playboy. Did we learn that? We learned he's a real playboy? There's an implication in this that, like, because he's uh, such an attractive model of a gentleman that he uh, he gets a lot of ladies. And I think at some point after they wake up from cryosleep on the show, Devin will walk onto the bridge and he'll be like, hey, we just woke up. You want to have sex? And she's like, what? Was that what he was saying at that point? I wasn't sure because uh, it wasn't Devin, wasn't it? Was it, the, it was the doctor who was all groggy. 
Uh, with the doctor, whoever it was, uh, a woman walked onto the bridge after they had all just woken up and no one was around and he like made immediately a pass at her. Right, right, yeah. The other crew is made up of a uh, grease monkey. He'll be kind of the uh, the everyman, I guess, we watch on the ship who goes by the name of John Danziger. Yeah, played by Clancy Brown. Good actor. And I think so far, it it might change. You never know over the course of this whole season. But so far, he's my favorite character in this show. I mean, he's a great character actor. I was happy to see him. I'm sure he'll do a great job. He's basically there to... He's kind of a maintenance guy. He seems to run a crew. When they find out there's a bomb on the ship, the commander basically tells him to go start sweeping the entire ship for explosives. So he's kind of the go-to. He's traveling with that other kid we mentioned earlier, his daughter, True, mm-hmm. who uh, we don't get to know too much about, but she's uh, she's just like a little older than Yuli. She does seem to be working on the ship. Like, I couldn't quite tell whether, like, when you hire Danziger, you kind of get his, like, his left-hand man, this little kid. I think what it is is he's a he's a single dad. He's good with tools. She's grown up with him. So she's, through osmosis of time with her dad, has also picked up stuff. And he, she's become his, like, right-hand man. And she's also very precocious. Uh, she's very insistent to her father when they finish this 200 and what is it? 44 year mission. Maybe it's not quite that long, but maybe it's only 44 years. That they're going to get a one cat. Way, 44, yeah. 44 years back. They're going to get a cat when they get back and not some cheapo synth cat, a real cat, but that's just for billionaires. They have a tendency in this show. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to do a lot of world building on throwaway lines where a character will just say these things and you and, and that's one of them you're like whoa synth cats what the money so i quite like it it felt a little bit more organic a way of doing it as opposed to someone you know making a speech about how the money is in the world or whatever so i'm hoping that we get pieces um as we go and we can this this world starts getting fleshed out a little bit yeah, the idea of a real cat and a synth cat, to me too, I was just like, okay, so on the spaceships or space stations, you know, obviously it'd be very difficult to have a live animal. So maybe people just have these weird synth cats, but you can still have one if you're quite rich, which is, you know, makes sense in a capitalist society that the rich would get something that the others others can't have. Now, Luke, if you're a billionaire in the future, are you buying a cat? Is that what you're getting? Oh, 100%. A couple of them. A couple, a couple of them? Just to show off, man. <laughs> one black one, one white one? exactly exactly um but there's also the commander of the ship commander o'neill who i guess he's kind of leading the expedition or he seems just basically underneath devon's role like he controls the ship but he's working for devon mm-hmm. he seems to be the more hands-on kind of guy she sort of comes in and out and makes the big decisions but he sees seems to be the guy who's really executing, uh, executing yeah exactly yeah yeah he's a bit older he's kind of probably the oldest person in the cast probably in his late 50s seems seem but he seems like kind of a classic gruff no nonsense kind of guy but seems to have a heart of gold and what how do you feel about white hair black mustache oh i'm into it i like i think he has a great look yeah i think so too we're agreed that's something we're agreed on i will say though uh at that midpoint uh, just to uh, we'll we'll spoil a little bit of this but at the midpoint there's a period of time where he gives yuli his lucky coin and i was just like oh he's dead (laughs) i I thought the exact same thing there's something about that scene and i don't know if i've seen that specific scene but you're like oh this doesn't look good for him it is whenever someone like he's like see this coin this used to be real earth money and i've carried around for 50 years but kid i'm gonna give it to you so it can be lucky for you it's like oh you're dead that's over (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm not getting attached to you Mm mm-hmm 
Um, so they're sweeping the ship. They're trying to find this bomb. And uh, as they're doing this, their greasy government liaison, Martin uh, Morgan Martin, arrives with his gross little ponytail. <laughs> he looks like he's uh, like he's a wrestling character. There's part of me that like might grow to dislike him, but it's they're setting him up to be such a sniveling little dweeb with no redeeming characteristics, and they're just going for it so wholeheartedly that I find it very funny. Because when you first see him, he's like practicing saying, "What the hell's going on here? What the hell's going on here?" And then when he walks into the bridge, he like sheeps he sheepishly chickens out of it, and everyone just browbeats him to death. And he just like seems like such a little bureaucratic sniveling like goon. I don't know. Something about him is very funny to me. Plus that ponytail. I don't even know what his job would be normally when they get onto the planet. Because he's he's a liaison. That's what they said, right? Yeah. Apparently he's a level four bureaucrat, which we come to learn there are six levels. So he's not too far down. He's not too far down. But it's like, what's he going to do on the planet while they're essentially terraforming? He's going to like take people's questions? I guess, I guess so. And he's, he's traveling with his wife, uh, Bess, played by Rebecca Gayhart. Is she your favorite actress slash murderer? Is she a murderer? Yeah, she killed a kid with a car. Oh my god, that's... She... I really only know her as, like, one of those scream queens from the 90s. Yeah, and she was she was a Noxima model, I believe. That's sad. You, that makes me very sad to hear that she uh, killed a kid. That's very sad. I think she's our second actor on a TV show we've seen that... Uh, I don't know if she went to jail for this. I mean, she's rich, so I assume she didn't go to jail. Um, but it was also the guy from um, Harsh Realm. He was our other convict. <laughs> oh, that's true. That, man, it's tough. It's tough to watch these shows sometimes when they're this yeah. old. Not yeah. everyone let, went on to live perfect lives. Yeah, at this point, though, she had not murdered anybody. Yeah, she's a real it girl at this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a hit girl, am I right? Oh, no. <laughs> that's terrible. A, ch- a child died. At any rate, they're sweeping. These are kind of the characters who are running around as they're sweeping for a bomb on this ship. One of these level six bureaucrats calls in to say, hey, why are you leaving so soon? And also imply, don't leave yet. Our bomb isn't ready to explode. Yeah, so you think this is probably pretty much like a evil government organization, huh? Yeah, they get into her and Devin or him and Devin get into a real conversation about like, oh, why are you leaving early? Uh, I want you to leave. Like, if it was my choice, I would send you and all the Syndrome kids off, but the government doesn't want you guys to do this. And they're both kind of stalling for time. Devin's stalling for them to find the bomb and get rid of it. And I guess he's stalling to try to, like, stop them from leaving before the bomb explodes. So there's kind of like a double stall going on. And I watched the credits, and this actor who plays, uh, I believe his name's Wayland, perhaps, playing this level six bureaucrat, he's never credited. Hmm. And I don't know if you would recognize this actor, but I am like 90% sure that it was uh, character actor Dennis O'Hare. I believe that's his name. What was he from? He's in like True Blood. He's in a lot of, um, oh, what's his name? Who does uh, all the American horror stories? Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy. He's like a Ryan Murphy regular. He's like a really good actor. He's a lot of fun to watch. And it's hard to see because we only ever see him shot through a CERT monitor. So it's always like he's always a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like that was him appearing in this weird, this weird, like early role in his career. Oh, and let me ask you something. We've mentioned that everything is very analog on this ship and uh, people are speaking through screens and stuff. And we're going to be coming up to a scene really, really quickly where they send one of the TV slash monitors out into space. And I know the basic point of why they were doing it, but... Did you have to send the monitor out to space? That seemed like a real waste. 
Yeah, well, they find the bomb. It's attached to one of the CRT monitors on the bridge. And they, yeah, they, they grab it. I What I like is they pull it out of the console and they're walking through the ship with it, but it's still projecting. So yeah. this giant CRTC monitor does have Wi-Fi capability. <laughs> but the, the, the implication is almost that they're throwing a guy out of the, uh, the airlock, but it's just the TV. I mean, it's it makes it a little more visually dynamic, maybe. But I suppose it goes by in a heartbeat. Like I would say, between them finding the bomb and it going out the window, like maybe twenty seconds goes by. Like mm-hmm. everything happened so fast off the top. I felt like we're just mm-hmm. like, there's a bomb. We're leaving. We found the bomb. We threw it out, and like they're basically sailing away. The bomb explodes behind them, and there's sort of a conversation where they're like, "Oh well, it doesn't look like anyone's chasing us." Maybe they're just playing that broadcast anyway, and they'll just say we died and let us go. Like that would seem to be the conversation they were having, right? Yeah. Well, basically, because they're gone now, the implication is no one will probably ever hear from them again because of the time it takes to get where they're going. So, what does it matter? The government will just say they died. Right. Right. That's kind of how I felt they were setting up too. But at any rate, they've they're gone. It's time to everyone to go into cold sleep, and this is kind of where we meet. Dr. Uh, Dr. Heller, the doctor on the ship who Devin's pretty when she finds out that De- Dr. Heller's on the ship, she's upset because the real doctor got left behind when they left early. And she's kind of like slagging this doctor as not even being good enough to be his intern. And it's one of those scenes where uh, the doctor walks up behind you as you're uh, as you're making fun of them. Yeah. Have you ever been in a situation like that where I've made fun of someone and they were there? I I, not that I remember, but based on me being stupid, uh, I would say it's very likely. I was trying to think. I was like, this is such a, this is such a, it seems so contrived for a TV show. That thing where like, can you believe what a dummy they are? And they're standing right behind you. But then I was just like, eh, maybe that's happened to Jordan. It probably has. I, If it has, it did not make a, a, a big impact on my life. No, no impression was made. <laughs> no, I just was like, huh? But yes, Dr. Heller is there. She'll be the only medical staff they'll have on their journey. And as you mentioned before, uh, sounds like she's actually pretty, like, she's not a robot, but she's had genetic splicing done to her by her parents so that I believe, I believe the quote is she could be skewed toward, her chromosomes could be skewed toward the medical arts. She's like the, um, the people in, oh, what was the sci-fi cop show we watched? Almost Human. Almost Human. It's a similar idea. Yeah, there she's been genetically modified to be really good at her job. And there's supposed to be this tension between that her and Devin, like Devin's so worried about her kid and this doctor's too green. I don't know. None of that stuff ever landed for me. I'm hoping they'll just phase away from it because it, she seems too competent. Like she already seems too competent for Devin to be that upset. I'll be honest, in my opinion, it might just be me. I would love them to get away from all the conversations about children. I, every time there was, it was just talk about the kids and the sick kids. I know it's kind of the crux of the show. I was like, I don't care, man. I don't care if this kid's sick. Let's just see some aliens and stuff. <laughs> I mean, like we've mentioned, there are two smaller children on the show, and I was a little worried about the precocious factor. I, I'm not too bothered by it, actually. I don't find either of the child actors to be overbearingly, like, cutesy. Well, the, the girls has been cast because she can scream real well. Yeah. And, I mean, there are definitely a few scenes with the kids, but I didn't find those scenes to be overly long either i found they didn't like dwell on them too much i'll tell you what saved uh, the scenes the kid scenes for me ely what's his name ulysses yeah yuli when he walks around he looks and sounds like robocop <laughs> he does have a bit of a robocop thing going yeah on. and i was like all right that that makes up for it um but yeah 
the point of all of this is they're getting ready to go into cold sleep. The kids go down first. Dan Ziger is having a bit of a fit on the bridge because he and all his like uh, blue collar guys who they're not going to start a colony. They're just like on the ship to like navigate and make sure it runs. So they're they're taking a 44 year 44 year nap to Earth 2 and they're taking a 44 year nap back to Earth. And the way they just left Earth was uh, pretty bad. And he's like, we got to go back there, you guys. You just basically gave him the middle finger and left. We have to go back there when we drop you off. And they kind of like passate him by being like, listen, we'll pay you double time and a half. And he's just like, all right, great. No problem. And I think they also make the comment that I wouldn't worry too much because by the time you get back, most of the people in charge will be dead. So, you know, that's true. Oh, here's my note on it. It's 22 years there and 22 years back. So like you're gone for 44 years. Whoever whoever's in charge right now is going to not be in charge. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be too bad, though, right? Like. If you had a boss that you didn't like and you're like, well, I'm just going to go on this 22-year mission when I get back, I'll have a new boss. I would hope if I was gone that long, I'd come back and the job didn't exist either. And I could just do something <laughs> else. Just hope you've been made redundant while you were gone. Yeah, exactly. Off. I just show up and they're like, well, sorry, I'd hate to tell you this, but we don't make widgets anymore. <laughs> but yeah, essentially that's what happens. They're like climbing to their cryotubes, much like the cryotubes we've seen in the past, just big banks of people in, in little circular tubes that fill up with, with gas. But they do them like bunk beds. I kind of like that. That is true. It is like bunk beds. And then we hard cut and we get a screen that says 22 years later, and we are at Earth 2. I liked how fast that went. You wanted to see more of the sleeping, right? You were hoping real time? Yeah, I was hoping we'd get 22 years of episodes <laughs> of just like an empty ship. <laughs> Actually, I thought the sequence of the ship starting up was pretty good because it is really, it's empty and you suddenly see the computers come up and the lights come on and there are a lot of pans of the uh, empty ship. I liked it because it gave us the geography of um, where, we, where we would be. It felt good. And like there were some zero G special effects. So like a bottle was floating through and mm-hmm. as the gravity came on, it fell down. Like it did feel like things were like starting up and you felt like you would, some time had passed. And basically everyone kind of gets up. We... Uh, See, it's very funny. We see them getting out of their sleep chambers. And like, I believe it's either Devin or Dr. Heller. She's just in like a white bathrobe with socks on. Like it's the doctor. Yeah, it does look like everyone just got up after a nap, like after a night's sleep. It's it's very funny to just being like, oh, yeah, I guess for them, they just woke up the next day. Let's say you wake up after your long sleep. You'd probably go to the washroom first, right? It looks like she just threw the bathrobe on and then just started stumbling around the ship. I was like, lady, run a, run a comb through your hair. Maybe they cut that scene out because there was a moment uh, where someone referred to buzzing your teeth. So I was wishing we got to see someone buzz their teeth. Oh, and we we did forget to mention, you do get to see a toilet in this ship, too. Oh, that's true. That's actually coming up, actually, because the commander will go to the toilet not to actually mm-hmm. use it. But I was just like, oh, you rarely see a bathroom on one of these shows. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Um, at any rate, they're here. They're getting ready to like put down all the equipment. They send down an advanced communications dish down to the site of New Pacifica. And uh, the pilot, Solace, he starts descending. I guess the ship is made up of a bunch of little modules, which are construction modules, vehicles, equipment, things they'll need to start the colony. And he starts dropping them down to Earth, or Earth 2, rather, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing this, this is where the commander's just like, well, we did it, you guys. Our... 22-year mission is nearly at an end. I'm going to excuse myself to the bathroom to smoke a cigar. Yeah, as you do. But of course, his celebration is just a tad early because as soon as he goes in that bathroom, the entire ship starts shaking. He runs out. For some reason, there's some sort of hang-up with the, I guess, the 
pods they're putting down, like the modules that Solace is dropping toward the planet's gravity, have gotten caught in, I guess, I, it's never really clear to me, the disloading mechanism has failed and is now dragging the ship into Earth 2's atmosphere. It's not good is what happens. And we get a long sequence of people who get to, um, you get a lot of shaky cam and things exploding and a lot of people getting to act as if they're getting knocked over, which I always love. It's that Star Trek, you know, the ship has got sh- shot by phasers and everyone has to act like they're shaking around. Yeah, yeah. The the, commu- the ship's telling them it's time to evacuate everyone to the escape pods. We see uh, old uh, Morgan Martin, our greasy government official, uh, steal one of them for just him and his wife in front of Danziger as he's just like, hey, there's there's more people who need that. And uh, old, uh, old Greasy Martin's just like, oh, see you later. Pops off on his own. And we should mention, though, uh, unrelated to any of this, that Bess Martin, the wife... She's doing some sort of uh, bad, indistinct Southern accent. That's her character. That's true. That is true. <laughs> but essentially, it is that classic scene where everyone runs around. Everyone's got to get to an escape pod. What I found interesting, though, is I was wholly expecting a classic sacrifice scene where there's not enough room on one of the escape pods because Martin stole one and someone has to stay behind and die on the ship. But everybody gets off. Yeah, there was enough. So, like, he, he was not such a jerk. He just wanted a nice, like, private Private. uber ride right you know yeah he's the government official gets a private one yeah so very quickly we basically you know we're probably a half hour in if that into the show we've like left earth got to earth 2 and now we're crash landing on earth 2 i was just like whoa this show we're not wasting any time we're gonna crash on this planet as fast as we can but something came up and i had a note that i wrote at this point doesn't it seem like at this point in the show the cap i'm gonna call her captain i don't know her actual position i don't I think she commander. has no real rank but yeah but Devin, yeah so Devin, she's the one in charge doesn't she seem much more worried about her kid than her crew and now i know that sounds insensitive because her kid clearly has um a, a disability or a disease or whatever it might be but it's like every scene with her she's just worried about the kid i'm like you've got dozens of people to worry about here i mean i i think it's a little bit of a problem of a lack of characterization for her i think part of it is this like this crew is under the commander's sort of jurisdiction. And I think she, for better or worse, is just a lady running an operation to make her kid healthy. For lack of a better term, I think she currently is just little more than a Karen. Like all she cares about is what affects her directly. And that's her son. Uh, right. Maybe that's going to be part of her character development. Maybe she needs to learn to be a better person. I don't know, but there's too little characterization for her in this pilot to get any sense of it, other than it's just like she's very focused on helping her son, which, you know, is fine, like, is a lady who wants to help her son, but it's coming, like, she's mean to the doctor because she doesn't think the doctor's good enough for her son. She doesn't care about the crew. It's at the expense of her job, it feels like. Yeah, and I guess maybe what we're supposed to know is, like, she doesn't really have a job, like, she's basically, maybe she, we're supposed to think she just did this to get her son here. She doesn't really right. have much more stake than that. She does seem to care about the 250 families who are supposed to come to colonize this place after they set up the colony, but certainly not the crew. Like, they're for hire. I had a weird question about that, Luke, though. We did mention right off uh, pretty early into this that there was a transmission that was going to go out that the ship blew up and uh, they all died. Do you think they would still be sending the 250 people if they thought the ship had exploded and it was a failure? The the, the mission was a failure? I had the same question for you because as we get into this episode, as they're on the planet, as they're deciding what to do, they're 
immediate strategy is like let's walk to new pacifica it's nine months away but we can get there and they're going because that's how the crew who's stuck there will get rescued and they all agree we have to get there before the 250 colonists get to earth too but i was also like why would anyone follow you i thought you guys said everyone thinks you're dead so i was also unclear on that i felt like they said that as well but then the rest of the episode they're like we got to get there before the colonists get here and i'm just like why would they what would make more sense is suddenly another ship shows up just like theirs that thinks it's just colonizing because the original ship blew up right yeah or maybe just that piece of dialogue around that explosion was mishandled and it wasn't intended to make us think everyone back on the stations thinks they're dead but i caught the same thing i just couldn't i couldn't make heads or tails of those two pieces of information but the important part is they've all landed on the planet they open the doors and they see that uh even though their um their technology their sensors aren't working they take a chance and open the doors and they they see that it seems like the same gravity the same kind of oxygen the same basic planet as earth is yeah i mean I because there's a whole thing where like we can't sense if it's safe outside, but we have to risk it. But they'd also sent probes there and they seemed to know it was safe. So I, I was just like, you guys, how, how much of a risk really is this at this point? You guys probably know more about this planet. Well, what was weird to me is not so much that they'd be worried about air quality or that sort of thing. But later on, there's a point where they're kind of going through forest and stuff. And you actually see little like um, pollen floating through the air and stuff like that. And my thought was... That's something I don't know if they would have been able to research ahead of time. I'd have been more worried about that, like poisonous plants or things that would cause allergic reactions because, you know, you just don't have the uh, immunity for it. But they seem to be like just walking around willy nilly with no suits on or anything. I think that is because I noticed it too. As soon as they step out of the skate pod onto the planet, it's like beautiful Rocky Mountain kind of foothills, big evergreens everywhere. And the air is just full of like poplar fluff pollen. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just because of the time of year they happen to shoot there. And, but there's so much, it almost looks like it's snowing there so much of it. I know, it's a lot. And I also was like, as soon as you see it, your head can't help but go, oh, is this safe? But I don't think it was ever, I think it was just a happenstance of when they shot. And it does look cool, but man, oh man, I also had the same thoughts. It's just like, oh yeah, alien pollen and stuff? I, oh, there's so many questions about how you're going to survive. <laughs> yeah, it's like episode two, everyone's dead. <laughs> But they're there. They uh, decide, as I've said, to keep going. First stop they're going to do is they think they've picked up a sensor reading on one of these uh, modules that has crashed. So they're going to try to walk toward that to try to get some of their supplies back as they start this nine-month journey to where the the new Pacifica colony was supposed to be. And there seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, because what we know is Martin... Morgan Martin, the government guy, and his wife have landed somewhere far away from them, and basically they're isolated. They'll come back and join the group later. And uh, it's very funny. They have a very funny scene where Bess helps him make up a lie about how he's not a coward. Like, no, no, we'll just tell them it fell off on its own. You're not a coward, honey. You're a good man. Yeah, even though there was, uh, what's his face, Dan Zinger was there to see it happen. But it did seem like there were a few escape pods. I couldn't get the sense of whether... By the end of this episode, the entire crew is back together or whether there's still like escape pods scattered around the planet with people on them. I assumed that the only one that wasn't together originally was the Martins and they are okay. all now back together. That was my assumption, but you're right. It's not quite clear. They do give an image, uh, not, not spoiling anything, but later on you see them kind of like 
uh, in a caravan, sort of, uh, you know, all walking down together. And I think the implication is that everyone has made He's it together. in the safe. Yeah, yeah. because I did note a third escape pod, because I think at some point Dan Ziger runs past one and a lady says, sorry, we're full, go to the next one, and that one jumps off. So I just, yeah, I was trying to get a sense of, like, part of the structure where we'll be finding new escape pods, but it did feel like everyone was together. Certainly, we have all our main characters, that's for sure. But they head off, uh, they're going to find this thing find this uh this thing they're going to take care of everyone's more or less in good shape the only person who really had any injuries was uh the pilot solace who broke his leg on entry so he's he's got some healing to do and i guess he didn't take the bone healer vaccine yeah which i guess the uh, the the idea is that sometimes these landings are rough so if everyone took this supplement uh if they did injure themselves they would heal quicker but weren't you just like thank god he didn't hurt his face Oh, yeah. I was like, his beautiful face. Antonio, you're, you're okay, right? <laughs> yeah. Just anything. Anything neck down is fine. Just not his face, please. I was really into a vaccine that heals bones. Is that a vaccine still? <laughs> <laughs> the point is that you want to know that he's out of commission because if he was up and ready, you know that nothing, nothing bad could happen because he's such a, such a, a beautiful man. And uh, as they're trying to making this journey through the forest, uh, Young True, the daughter of Danziger, she gets a little scene where she uh, she takes her rations and goes for a little wander in the forest, and she finds herself a little alien pet. Yeah, and I, it's my favorite thing in the episode. It it's is really good. What I love is it's a puppet, um, yes. and it's actually not. It's a pretty good puppet. It has a, a couple little uh, mannerisms, and it can move around a little bit. And it's not CGI, and so it's aged pretty well. How would you describe what it looks like? I know it's got very almost like long fingernail fingers. Yeah, it's like a foot tall, I'd say. It's got a little tail, and I just kept thinking, it looks like a little goblin. Yeah, it's 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 a little Goonie-esque, and it's it's uh, like a dark brown color. It has very big expressive eyes. Yeah, are Goonies the ones that come out of the toilet? What, what's oh, that no, horror sorry, movie? N- not Goonies, Ghoulies. That's exactly, it looks like a ghoulie. Yeah, yeah. I mixed it up like my mom mixed up Cabbage Patch Kids and uh, Garbage Pail Kids in the 80s, and she took us to the movies Garbage Pail Kids, and she was so horrified she took us out. I have no memory of this, but it has scarred my mother. Well, I think that's a pretty scarring movie, so that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very funny mix-up, though. Yeah. At any rate, this little uh, little ghoulie she finds, it kind of purrs and chirps, and it likes to be fed, so she kind of scoops it up, and like, we know she wanted a cat. Now she's got this weird little puppet. Did she say she wanted a disgusting hairless cat, though? Hey, man, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> I suppose. I know, because you've got to be a billionaire to have one of those synthetic cats. <laughs> At any rate, uh, the next day, this, this, this caravan finally finds the drop that came down, and it's pretty badly damaged, and they quickly discover that someone or something has already looted it of, like, much of its contents. Like, they've lost an aircraft. They've lost some sort of vehicles. They've lost some of their supplies. Um, So there's something else on this planet, which is a surprise because, as they say, the probes they sent saw no signs of civilization, but they were also government probes, so they might have been censored. Now, has it stolen everything, or was it just the one container? It hasn't stolen everything because it's clear here they... There was one side that couldn't get into because they pull out the robot. Oh, yeah, are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. talking, walking around robot named Zero. I don't remember what the robot's name is, but he looks just like the robot from Power Rangers. He does. I also thought he was a bit like Quark from, um, from oh, not Quark, the robot from Quark, pardon me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's that thing, like, it's clearly a guy in a suit with a uh, very wide bubble head that talks robotic. It doesn't really seem to have much of a personality. 
It's even got that glass container on top so you can see the innards working. And I would argue it's actually kind of a snide cheeky robot. Like it has like one liners. Did did you I didn't think it was that that cheeky. It did seem to have like weird one liners where it's just like you take off its head and it's just like mm, I don't know where my body is. I don't know if that's that much of a personality. We'll we'll see. You know, we'll see in future episodes how hilarious this robot becomes. I thought Zero was pretty cheeky. <laughs> I think you just have, you just love robots. I like them when they're cheeky. Yeah. That's the only word I know how to describe a robot, apparently. <laughs> um, but thankfully, they didn't take everything. They get the robot. They have a Hummer. Yeah, that was weird, right? And it, not only was it was it a Hummer, like, it's like a weird product placement. Like, they get right in on the logo. Yeah, it's like a huge, basically, I guess they call it a mining cart or something like a piece of mining equipment but it's basically like a big almost semi-trailer sized hummer that can like cover a lot of like hard terrain and then they also get a bunch of little go-karts they can drive around on which are cute those little go-karts mm-hmm. and the uh, the go-kart thing seems to have the only the only uh driving mechanism seems to be like a sort of a l-shaped pole that you just push in different directions yeah it didn't make a ton of sense to be quite how it worked either but uh, i would i would have been fun they looked like they have fun to drive i agree well, you love that dune buggy scene in the, one of those Star Trek movies. Remember that? Oh, yeah. that uh, Which one, though? There's the dune buggy scene in JJ's, but there's also the dune buggy scene in that one where Data died. I can't remember. I think it was an insurrection. Yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of, too. But that new, the, one of the JJ ones has a fun dirt biking one, too. Oh, that's right. Well, everyone loves a motorbike. <laughs> um, at any rate, they've lost these supplies, and Commander O'Neill is furious. He wants to get out there. He wants to hunt down whoever stole his stuff, and he wants to kill it. He's sort of that, uh, at this point, they're kind of playing him up like that classic military guy. You know, like, shoot first, you ask questions second. It's funny, I didn't, based on what I knew about him so far, I hadn't seen him as such a hothead. But from this point forward, when there's not much left for him, he's a pretty big hothead. He heads out there in one of the go-karts. He's got, like, this... Uh, plasma pistol that shoots little plasma bolts on him but what he doesn't know is that little pet goblin that girl took has crawled onto his go-kart so while he's out like in the badlands searching for searching for whoever stole his stuff the goblin like you know as a curious goblin does like pulls the trigger on one of his extra rifles by the way curious goblin is a movie i think we'd all like to see i mean it is a sweet little scene you kind of see it just like it doesn't know what it is it's just like playing around with the gun and accidentally pulls the trigger and then the commander just turns around and just starts shooting at the go-kart he doesn't know what's what's happened he's just like shooting at his own go-kart with his plasma gun like crazy but it's not an effective strategy because the little uh little uh alien apparently can shoot the little fingernails off his finger and he does that directly into uh what's his name o'neill yeah right into o'neill's neck it's true and like o'neill starts choking his face starts like rotting immediately like whatever the poison is like it's rotting his face it might have just been the pollen from earlier but that's true and essentially the commander drops dead and they have their first funeral on the planet immediately (laughs) i was the same as you i knew they were going to kill him but i did like that they were bold enough to introduce a character or give him uh, significant screen time compared to other characters and then kill him in the first episode. It's a, it's a good move. It kind of sets some stakes for sure. It's kind of funny, though, because like after this point, it's clear they never found the little goblin on the go-kart. Like the girl gets it back and hides it from everybody. But I was just like, how'd you guys not find that little goblin that killed your commander? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it, uh, it just it, it can move faster than its little leg show. I suppose. But everyone's basically on edge now. They're 
there's a bit of a debate about whether they should like keep going to the new Pacifica colony or whether they should like hunker down here and just like wait it out. It was such a strong argument though. I'm just like, but if someone does come, they're going to go to the place you were supposed to be. Why would you hunker down here? You're just going to get killed. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, it's, it's really a first scene for the captain to be like, I don't care. I'm going to do it my way and we're going to do it. Yeah. Dan Zinger. It's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we do get some more aliens very shortly after this. A new set of aliens. These, uh, what we'll come to learn, are called Terrians. How, how would you describe these Terrian aliens? I can tell you exactly how they're described. Close your eyes. Okay. They're across from uh, the Benzite animal from Star Trek, Benzite alien, and Sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> Interesting description. Yeah. I thought of them as kind of a mix between a tall Slenderman type of thing with a rotting zombie face. <laughs> it it does have a rotting kind of look to it yeah well and they also have we're gonna get a, another look at them later on i wasn't sure if it was supposed to be clothing or it's just the way their skin is but it sort of looks like they have um almost a stitched in patchwork of uh, uh, uh discoloration all over their body yeah they kind of had like geiger-esque rib cage or something like it was they were and as we'll come to learn they're not really a threatening alien that's something i ha- i did like is like they are gross and scary to look at they're the kind of things that you would be afraid of even though as we start to see they seem pretty peaceful yeah well they're they're things that we're gonna learn live underground so they kind of you know they don't look like they should be up much (laughs) they shouldn't be in the sun yeah but these aliens as jordan sort of implied at the top they communicate via dreams and this is kind of i guess the role of solace our pilot on the show is They've been coming to solace in his dreams, despite the fact he says he no longer dreams because of all his cryo sleep and basically trying to make contact with him. So he doesn't quite know what to do with it. So these aliens kind of show up on a ridge and present themselves to the group. And the group is like freaking out because these scary aliens are there and uh, they're able to cross these um, staffs they have to kind of like a magician's trick they they reflect sunlight to blind everyone in the camp and then they just disappear because they're they live underground and they're able to like tunnel down kind of like a tremor from tremors or kind of like fremens from that uh dune pile or dune miniseries mm-hmm. we watched. they can kind of like jump in and out of the sand but basically this is just to kind of expose us to the idea that this is a very alien world. There are clearly several kinds of aliens on this planet, and they're basically not prepared for any of it. And and we should say that um, the dreams that they um, that old uh, uh, Sabato Junior gets, they're not like straightforward conversations. It's all images, and it's not. It's I actually thought it was pretty well done. It's it's two different species trying to communicate. Um, using images but they don't really have the same language so it's it's a scattershot yeah i mean it's a classic dream sequence as far as these shows go but i do think the premise is cool like i did like the premise of communication via two species that cannot communicate Mm -hmm. Uh, it's an interesting idea better than most dream sequences you might get on like a better than nightmare cafe (laughs) well i mean yeah that's a a low a low bar but yes um anyway Sort of in this period, night falls, uh, Morgan Martin and Bess kind of rejoin the pack. They stumble across each other as they're sort of traversing the traversing these badlands. And essentially, all the main characters are back together. And 
True decides now's probably a good time to get rid of her pet murder goblin. She probably can't keep it around anymore. So she takes a trip back into the forest to kind of, you know, that classic get out of here dog, I don't want you anymore scene. It's the scene that in um, the the last show we watched, Ultraviolet, uh, the guy did with uh, his friend's uh, ex-fiance. Exactly. Uh, but Yuli follows her out because he sees his little girl leaving. So Yuli's like, I'm going to follow her in my uh, go-kart. And he drives out after her and he basically sees her with this little goblin. And he's just like, gets so mad. He's just like, I can't believe you had that this whole time. That thing's evil. And then True turns around and he's like, you know what? Your mom's evil for making us come here. Yeah, and I was on Team True. I don't know about you, but Yuli's a little brat. Yuli is a little tattletale because he's just like, I'm going to go back and tell on you. I'm driving back right now. And True basically runs after his go-kart, jumps in, shoves him out of the go-kart. This little boy who can't walk properly tosses him right out of the (laughs) go-kart. She don't care. She don't care. And Yuli lands on the ground of this forest. And as he's laying there, it's dark. He's scared. And then like a zombie movie, like something out of a Romero film, arms start reaching out of the dirt and grabbing him and start dragging him down into the dirt like a zombie movie. It was great. I really liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And she screams and basically we have uh, what's going to be now the plot of the rest of the episode is that he's being kidnapped for all intents and purposes. Yes. The Terrians have him and they, they basically start a big search party in the woods. They start digging a hole where Yuli was pulled down to and uh, they shove that robot Zero's head down to the hole and he's just like, these caves are a labyrinth-like series of, uh, of tunnels. And what, what did you see he was? You said he was spunky. How did you describe the robot? Uh, I believe he said, I said he was cheeky. Oh, he was cheeky. Right. Okay. He's a cheeky little robot. <laughs> Um, and Dan Zinger volunteers. He's like, he's going to go down to the caves. He's going to put a tether on. He's going to wander around, see if he can track down where Yuli's gone in this whole cave system that I guess exists under the planet, or at least this portion of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, back at camp, however, the Tarians are reappearing sort of on that same cliff face looking down. All of the characters who have any sense to them have left to look for Yuli. So the only person left to deal with these re- like reappearance of the Tarian aliens is old Morgan Martin, the greasy government man. And he grabs just like a cannon. Like that gu- that gun he finds is like the size of his body. Yeah, it's it's almost like a um, something you'd see a character have in like a video game. Like it's like a like ridiculously large weapon. <laughs> That's true. It's like a BFG from Doom or something. It's like yeah, unbelievably, right. unbelievably unnecessary. <laughs> but he starts taking shots at them. The aliens disappear. Solace starts having dreams again. He calls out to Dr. Haller and kind of is like, hey, I'm having these weird dreams and I've seen those aliens on the ridge before. And Dr. Heller is either smart as a whip or like a really great plot device because she's just like, oh, well, you know what? Those aliens are talking to you, buddy. We got to get you out there. We got to figure out where Yuli's going. Yeah, it, w- it was a, a way to uh, they're like, all right, let's uh, stop wasting time. Let's just uh, let's get to it. I did appreciate it. I was a little worried with these dream sequences, whether they would drag it on for episodes as to him not knowing what it was and like finally revealing to us it was the aliens communicating with him. But they, they, one thing it does well is it gets right to it. It's just like aliens mm-hmm. talk to you in your dreams. Great. Like they tell Devin this is what's happening and Devin just grabs a sedative gun, shoots herself in the neck and passes out so she can go talk to the aliens. She doesn't have any questions. I didn't exactly how, understand how it's worked. So she decides to put herself into a dream so she can communicate with these aliens. I have a couple questions about that, though. Just because she's dreaming doesn't mean she's going to have some sort of 
uh, uh, astral projecting dream connection with these aliens because they seem to be the ones who choose when they communicate. And secondly, we're going to see old Sabato Jr. also make himself go to sleep and he somehow also is in the dream. Is it just that if you dream on this planet, you have connected dreams? Well, I think we may never get more of it. The, the stuff they laid in is earlier Sala said he no longer dreams because he's done too much cryosleep. He just doesn't have dreams anymore. Mm-hmm. But on this planet, he's having dreams of aliens. And when Devin sedates herself and goes into that dreamscape to talk to the aliens, Dr. Heller notes she has no REM activity, no dream activity. So I think what they're trying to imply is there is some sort of substate of consciousness that it just exists around these aliens that you can enter, but it's not actually a dream state. Mm, okay. All right. Well, that makes sense then. I think that's what they're trying to apply is like the sed- the sedation they're both have been under should provide no dreams, but it, apparently it provides access to whatever this communication tunnel is, whatever that idea. And I doubt they'll go into it in much detail because obviously the more we break it down, the less sense it's going to make. But yeah. But, but I mean, the point of the scene is the two characters are now in this dreamscape. They're trying to communicate with the aliens. Again, it's it's a sort of flash of imagery. Um, it's hard to understand exactly what what we're seeing. We get a lot of... Sh- uh, Devin actually sees scenes we've seen before. She like watches herself have conversations and stuff like that, um, which I don't know what they're implying other than they look creepy, but the point is she's trying to communicate with the aliens. Yeah, a lot of this early stuff is just like weird dream stuff. Let's run around a cave. Let's run around the old ship. Let's run around a desert. It only kind of really kicks into motion when Solace like enters the dream with her. And I, I found it very funny because uh, but Charles is like, Solace shows up and he's just like, oh, yeah, let me interpret for you. Like Devin can't make heads or tails of what the aliens are doing because they don't speak. They just kind of stand there. But Solace is able to like translate what they're up to, basically. Well, he's he's had at least three dreams, so he's an expert at this point. That's fair. And I mean, to be fair to those aliens, Devin shows up and all she does is yell, where's my son? Where's my son? Give me my son. Where's my she's not really opening a dialogue. <laughs> She's all mom all the time. I mean, yes, you're right. To the detriment of this character, we could use a couple more levels to her. But um, essentially what we come to learn is the Tarians tell her through Solace that they are scared of humans and they've taken Yuli because he's different than typical humans. Um, That's why they kind of wanted to get to know him, I guess, or why he's been taken to their realm. And why they're scared of humans is because they've encountered humans before. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of implication. This is not Earth's first trip to Earth 2, I guess. Um, but essentially, they agree they will give Yuli back, but make it very clear that his return isn't a gift. There'll be a price to be paid for it later. Yeah. And there's no real questions asked as to what that price is. They kind of just, what we see is Danzinger, who's been wandering those tunnels, he's been able to hear parts of this dream that these people have been in so like something about these tunnels something about this dreamscape clearly bleeds into the real world because danziger keeps hearing like snippets of like devin's voice or solace's voice and as he mm-hmm. turns a corner he finds yuli lang on the ground as promised one of the terrains is standing above him they're giving yuli back and as danziger brings him out of the cave yuli's basically been cured of the syndrome mm-hmm. and then we get a scene that i love which is Yuli's, uh, I think, I don't know if it's right now, but it's going to happen in a couple of scenes where Yuli's at one side of a field and the mom, Devin's at another, and they run towards each other through the field in the sunlight. And it's just the funniest scene. I know. So cheesy, right? It's right on the yeah. nose. Yeah. It's like, and it, it is funny because the show hasn't really done anything like that before. And it's like, oh, guys, this is so cheesy. But all right. If you, if you think uh, uh, we're so invested in this relationship, sure, you know, go at it. 
I think it's because there's a line very early before they leave Ar- before they leave Earth One, where they're like, he's just like, when I got the spaceship, Mom, will I just be able to run around and do whatever I want? She's like, no, son, it'll take many years for you to get better. And I think they're just tr- like they really wanted to like bookend those two things, even though it's it is a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, but the episode basically wraps up with uh, the crew kind of gets together, and I guess to show some progress for Devin's character, she agrees to have a vote about what they should do next, but. Obviously, they're all going to vote to go to New Pacifica because anything else would be an insane thing to say yes to. And and the caravan kind of takes off on, you know, as a pilot, the beginning of the series. Off they go into this frontier land to travel across new worlds and come to their their new colony that they'll eventually set up. But as they're sort of driving away, the camera pans behind them, and standing on a standing on a hilltop, covered in rags, is a is a human being who looks like a real ragamuffin. And I could not have been happier when I realized who it was. I type my notes while I'm watching this, and it's all in caps, and it just says "wait dot 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 Tim Curry." I also my notes were just like Tim Curry exclamation mark, dude, what a twist. I love Tim Curry. I can't believe I didn't know Tim Curry. I couldn't remember Tim Curry was in this. And to like reveal him in the last five seconds, just to turn around and like Tim Curry's just standing there. I'm like, what is this show? Yeah. And and that's how you end. And the camera like spins around him. Like they know this is like, yeah, this is what the audience wants. I know you've been wasting the time with uh, old uh, Rebecca Gayhart, the murderer here. But guess what? We got Tim Curry too. Tim Curry's coming. Just hold on. Just come back next week. And that's how it ends with this, like, uh, the voiceover, like, guess what? More adventures. Yeah, uh, that's that's the show. I mean, we kind of mentioned it, but, you know, I think the basic premise is it, uh, very funnily, you talked a little bit about Little House on the Prairie last last episode we did. But it's very much that kind of old, westy, pilgrimy, come to a new world sort of idea. Got uh, like elements of like a little house or something, but with a bit of a sci-fi twist to it. I do think that's probably what the future episodes are going to be like, you know, encountering uh, new species and obviously encountering Tim Curry and his band of misfits. It is interesting, too. Um, It feels like there's no way it can't be serialized based on what I'm seeing. Like there has to be at least some elements of serialization. And thinking about it later, I'm just like, oh, it doesn't strike me as crazy now. But I'm realizing the more I think about it, I'm like, this must have been a real swing when they did it. Cause like what maybe deep space nine is on now, but it probably hasn't started serializing yet. Yeah. It might be a little bit ahead of its time in terms of uh, the storytelling they want to do, but we'll, we'll have to see. I don't know. I mean, we've only watched the pilot. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they will be recasting everyone in the next episode. We don't know what's going to happen. That'd be great. Everyone just, like, yeah, we don't like any of you new characters <laughs> all around <laughs> after a two hour movie event premiere. <laughs> Yuli's you now 18 years old. All right, Jordan, let's rate First Contact. Okay. Do you want me to go first or would you like to? Yeah, you, you go first. I don't know how you're going to feel about it. Uh, I could go either. I, I, I can see many reasons to like or dislike this show. I got to say, though, I think this is a strong little pilot. Like, I'm like, it's not perfect by any means, but I like the technology. I love the space stuff. I like the little alien puppet. I thought it moved at a decent enough clip that like I didn't feel like I was dragging along too much for me. And uh, it did for me what a pilot should do is like, I'm like, I want to see a couple more episodes of this. And I'm on board with most of the characters and I'm enjoy. I'm going to give it an eight. I think, I think this is, was a strong pilot. I don't think I, it's, uh, I like it is quite as much as you do. I think you're right. I think it's a pretty good pilot. I like how little they tried to over, they didn't try to over explain things, which I liked. I'm going to go 
I guess pretty high for me. I'm going to give it a 7, but with the caveat that 0.5 of that is just for the little alien. Right. Well, I have to say, it'd probably be a 7.5, but that alien and the surprise Tim Curry certainly are bumping it up for me. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. But I think, it's a, I think it's a good promising start to a series, so I hope that... Um, I hope we're really going to learn more about this world and get some more weird, fun aliens. Yeah, we'll see how long they can sustain. We'll see how cheeky that robot becomes. Oh, I better get so cheeky. <laughs> at any rate, if you want to talk to us about Earth 2, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some little uh, clips from the show so you can uh, see what's going on in Earth 2. Definitely the little uh, ghouly alien probably the other aliens too there's aliens there's spaceship stuff there'll be some fun stuff there'll be a tim curry spin oh yeah tim curry reveal (laughs) i didn't honestly i don't think i knew how much i liked tim curry until tim curry appeared and i got like physically excited it is i felt the exact same way i'm like am i a big tim curry fan and i'm like based on my goosebumps apparently i am (laughs) there's just something about him i guess yeah Anyway, that about wraps up for this episode. Listener, thanks for joining us. Jordan, see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.